0: Ridiculous rock record reviews.
1: How you doing everybody? I'm Lou Figaro.
2: And I'm Aaron Martell
1: and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews. This week, we're going to be doing Pearl Jam, Yields. This week, we have a special guest, David Arouse. How you doing, David?
0: I'm doing well. Nice to be here.
1: Great. David, where do you come in with Pearl Jam, and how do you feel about Yield?
0: Well, they just happen to be undeniably probably my favorite band. They hit me in the sweet spot when 10 came out. I was 18 and had things going on that teenagers do so I could really relate to them and what this band... Has meant, you know, to this day even I think is is when I started seeing them perform live. That's the reputation they built. They had quite a few really good albums along the way, including Yield, which I think you know I'm so glad we're talking about because I think it's a real turning point for them and it, it basically set them up for the rest of their career. And so um yeah, no, this is by far probably the band I know you know best, uh, both live and on record. So I'm just happy to uh, talk about them.
1: That's awesome. Aaron, how about you? How do you come in with Pearl Jam?
2: Well, we on the podcast, we've already covered Vitalogy. But I first discovered Pearl Jam through MTV and the live video, and I thought that was a pretty good song. And as the grunge thing started to explode, and Pearl Jam was lumped in with them, whether you like that or not, and I know you don't like that, Lou, but Sister Shannon was telling me I needed to check out Ten, the, the first record. She loved it. She thought I'd dig it, too. So I picked it up. And I did. I loved it right away. I got right on board the bandwagon. And I got the next couple of albums right when they came out, too, versus Vitality. Now, Yield is funny because Pearl Jam had dropped way off my radar by then. This was, what, 98? Right, 18. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Grunge had pretty much fizzled out by then, and I didn't pay much attention when this album came out. I didn't get it right away. I saw it in the store, and I was like, ah, eh, yeah, a yeah, new Pearl Jam record. And I'd also another reason why I didn't pick it up, I'd heard Given to Fly on the radio, and I was not impressed with that. But I was a fan enough of the band that at some point I just I just bought the CD. It was probably a month or two, maybe three after it come out. And it was like, yeah, what the fuck? I may as well get it. Cool. I come into Pearl Jam back in art school, back in 91,
1: Ducre School of the Art. I drove an 85 Dodge Daytona Turbo Z. And it had an add-in, like uh, an aftermarket realistic equalizer that allowed me to plug in my Discman, uh, which was <laughs> Kind of brand new at the time too. It was about the size of a notebook. Actually, <laughs> I carried a gray case, Logic CD case, with me that had like I don't know 10 CDs in it or whatever. That I still have that thing to this day.
0: The visor or the actual case?
1: Uh, no, it was an actual block case. It was a zipper case. I had the visor oh. case too, but a lot of those just <laughs> melted in the sun. In that CD case was Soundgarden's Louder Than Love, Nirvana's Nevermind, Alice in Chains' Facelift, and Pearl Jam's Ten. 10 left such an impression on me that I sent a postcard to the address inside the CD to send me what they could. I was hooked. And a few months later, a package came, and it had a 45 in it and with two really weird Christmas tunes on it and um, a a hand Xerox newsletter from the Pearl Jam Fan Club, soon to be known as the 10 Club. And I've been a member ever since. It I'm, still exists. It still does yep. exist. And, wow. And actually, yep. yeah, it's um, I, there's too many people in it now because now it's not even easy to get tickets through the 10 Club um, anymore. By the time Yield came out, the grunge thing had kind of run its course. The band, This band just kind of plowed right through it. Every album evolved from the last and they kept changing. They kept things fresh without falling into the, the traps of trying to recreate lightning in the bottle. All the while trying to keep themselves from being superstars. Everything they did was kind of with a punk rock attitude they didn't really want that slick sheen of what their record company was trying to make them into i drove out to a record store about an hour away from where i live to wait online at midnight on a really (laughs) cold february night for this cd and drive the hour back home again with it cranked at two in the morning this is one of my favorite albums from wikipedia That's the free encyclopedia for anybody that doesn't know. (laughs) Um, Yield is the fifth studio album by American rock band Pearl Jam, released on February 3rd, 1998. The album was hailed as a return to the band's early, straightforward rock sound, and it marked a more Collaborative effort from the band, as opposed to relying heavily on the frontman Eddie Vetter's to compose the song lyrics. This record has been certified platinum by the RIAA in the United States, and the album is Pearl Jam's last release with the drummer Jack Irons, who left the band during the album's promo, promo tour. He was replaced with Soundgarden drummer Matt Cameron. So on this album, Jeff Ament played bass, he sang backups, he took the pictures, and he did the cover layout. Stone Gossard played rhythm guitar, he sang, he played bass and lead guitar on do the evolution and he's credited as carpenter newman for the album concept (laughs) Uh, jack irons of red hot chili peppers fame and actually who was responsible for getting ed in this band um he was the one that passed the the tape to stone and jeff uh he drummed percussed and sang on the color red or red dot i knew it as red dot (laughs) mike mccready Played lead guitar, and what a lead guitar he played. Eddie Vedder sang the songs, played some rhythm guitar, and Brendan O'Brien produced and mixed it. And I believe he played some keyboards on it as well.
0: Yeah, I I, I can just say um, you could definitely feel the Jack Irons presence on this album, as, and as well as No Code, there's some really kind of trippy, more almost you know angular type of playing that you can hear. That's a definite different type of vibe than what Dave Avruzizi, I believe, is that, is that how you pronounce it? Um, <laughs> I think that is how you pronounce it. It's as close so as I've ever heard. Yeah, he, he yeah. brought such a massive pounding. He beat those drums i mean i still think he's the best drummer for them but this band has gone through shifts in albums and i think these you know jack irons was a great fit for no code and, and for yield and then you know matt's just your steady i mean he's as steady as it goes for uh for them after that i really like the vibe he brings to this album i think it really kind of loosened eddie up a lot uh he's kind of highly strung out on some of those earlier albums oh, yeah. seems like there's a, a lot of pressure on him and it's you know it's noted that the whole band kind of just loosened up ed especially and there is one thing that hangs over this album as a great influence is that uh, there's a book by daniel quinn called ishmael which um not only did ed read that but i'm pretty sure all of the rest of the band did and this was during the recording of yield and so The most obvious influences from the book is if you see the Do the Evolution video, the Todd McFarlane animated video for that. It's very, you know, the lyrics that Eddie says in third person about, you know, just, you know, technology, what it's doing to us. I mean, it's not a new concept, but it's done so well, the video and the the song. And that, you know, is very influenced by that uh, Ishmael book, the video and the the whole album as a whole.
1: All right. We're going to. Press play on the CD because that's actually uh, the first time I heard this was on CD. So if we're going to drop the needle, this is side one. Brain of Jay.
2: One, two
1: three, four, one, two, three, four. What What they I kinda boosted that. I can't even think that fast. Never mind. I love Count- <laughs> I love that. I don't know why, but I I
0: just <laughs> love that. fast. That's that's definitely Mike.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What do you think of this song?
0: Oh uh, yeah, great opening track. Uh, I love hearing Mike right at the beginning there. And it's a driving uh, opening number that uh, really gets the album started
2: how about you Aaron well Mike McCready's riff it's nice and dirty and then it's basically doubled by Stone Gossard on second guitar and then it's tripled by Jeff a. Matt on bass Jack Irons he's a powerful presence kind of what David was talking about before he really drives his baby and he propels it forward and then Eddie Vedder's voice it's kind of at his higher register right it's, and it, but it's gravelly too and it does sound like he's straining in spots And then there's a quiet breakdown section that gives everybody a breather except for Amen, and it kind of resets the tune, and then McCready gives us a heroic rock guitar solo. Now, I don't know what these lyrics are about. I pride myself on being a lyric guy the only vibe i get from them is government mistrust maybe and who the fuck stole president john f kennedy's brain from the national archives that really (laughs) happened it did (laughs) yeah Yeah. somebody must have one fucked up paperweight i almost (laughs) get 10 vibes from this almost and i do like this very much as the opener
1: all right reminds me of an ignition key kind of turning an engine starting and sputtering Jack Irons definitely has a different heartbeat than usual.
0: The equivalent of uh, Alex Van Halen's car rumbling, not her teacher. Mm.
1: Right. Except this one kind of is missing a couple of yeah. cylinders every time. And then it stalls <laughs> and then it starts again. And...
0: Um, that one, I really had people believing that was uh, an exhaust of the car. Yeah. I was like, you know, that's, that's the exhaust. And it's like, it's Alex double baby. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Mike McCready wrote this. It's a uh, heavyweight riff. It kind of drives us forward. Stone Gossard's kind of creating that chugging flange circular rhythm behind it. It's subdued, but then driving behind Ed's hurling vocals. That he's kind of sounds like the macho man, doesn't he? Um, WWF that... Ooh, yeah! Who's Ooh, <laughs> got the brand of JK? What's mean to us now? Ooh, <laughs> oh,
0: Yeah. <laughs> And those lyrics are so Eddie Butter. Yes.
1: Soon he's flopping into falsetto and howling about our world's going to be different soon. Ed didn't know how much truth his words were going to hold in the next few years, too. Mm. Um, especially back in 98, we were so naive. Our world would be different soon. Our world would be relieved. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where my man was going with all of this, but he's talking about letting go. The name they gave him. The, the whole world's going to be different soon. Yield. Letting go. Let things happen. The ferocious Mike McCready solo punches through that sonic assault that you can hear. You can hear the tube sizzle as he just bends and howls his way through this another chorus that just ties this up. And it's just a hell of an intro to a hell of a record. (laughs) The next track is Faithful by Mike McCready. think of this one
2: McCready leads this off with kind of a jangly guitar lick that's faded a little bit back in the mix and the other band members slowly come in from iron's rim shots and amens and amens burbling bass line that finally builds to a mid-tempo thumper with thick guitars and meaty riffs but man ed what are you trying to tell us this time are you criticizing organized religion it kind of feels like it but you know the flock needs to be controlled don't you Keep them in their boxes of fear. I don't know. Maybe I'm off. The song ends as it begins, bringing us back down to that simmer. Yeah, this doesn't knock my socks off,
0: but it's good.
1: How about you, David? What do you think?
0: Yeah, with this one, I'm going to have to lean on the live setting that I've heard it in. Um, It's right up there with Red Mosquito, I'd say. as a fan favorite live. Um, It sounds a lot better live. Uh, They give them room to breathe. And... If it wasn't for the live version, I would consider it like a middling mid-tempo number on any album. But just having seen it a few times live myself, um, it elevates it a little bit more for me. Uh, I think it's a solid number, um, crowd pleaser, and uh, it fits on the album very well.
1: I totally agree about the live situation. Um, Again, Mike McCready comes up with this tune. It, It reminds me actually of Black Sabbath, Johnny Blade Jr.'s eyes transition off of Never Say Die.
2: You know what, I, I was, yeah. Lou? I was th- this song reminded me of something, and I couldn't place it. Right? That's exactly what it reminds me and, of.
1: And it gives me that same kind no of no shit, Johnny you know,
2: Blade, holy right. shit, you're right.
1: And uh, it yeah, going from that full throttle rock banger, you know, crashing into this quiet ride, cymbal kind of mellow drum intro. The the light jazz ride of Jack Irons is just a breath of cool, fresh air. It's a, a son after that fucking sonic blast of the last song. It's like a relief. Stone Gossard, he sets a clumsy yet fluid rhythm. Jeff Mint kind of bops and bounces through, uh, just happily following um, Jack Iron's right foot. It's a slow, powerful burn to the end. It's sonic opiates for me. He sings of taking things at what they seem and being faithful that they will keep their promises. The faithful in God and how he's through it, screaming for help over other worshipers echoes that nobody hears. It goes like this. Yield to a greater power. We all believe it. Don't fool yourself. We all believe in it to be true and have faith that others will for us as well. Faith in a relationship. He says, be darling and I will be too faithful to you. What he's talking about. I, I feel it. He's saying that love me back and I'll be faithful. If not, there's no guarantees. This band grinds into that main riff, that backward-sounding Zeppelin-type dirge. Um, no, like echoes, nobody hears. It goes, it goes. Ed's really reaching. He, this is about the top of his range, I think, or it's like right in the middle of keys where you know he's going up into a falsetto, and he's. We all of, believe. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. uh, he's he's straining for this one, but the band's got this quiet tension, loud release on this, and it works. Uh, nothing like they've ever done before. I think it's a powerful tune. And yes, live, it's just amazing. It's like church. Love this.
2: That's I like your interpretation of the lyrics too, Lou. There, there's a reason why there's an extra L in the word faithful. Right. In the
0: title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good catch. And just as a quick aside, who do you think would lose this bet? Eddie Vedder having to write a full album without mentioning Ocean or The Waves? <laughs> or Red Hot Chili Peppers' Anthony Kiedis having to write an album without mentioning California? Oh,
2: jeez. I don't know if I'm taking that bet. <laughs> yeah, or Dio talking about being lost
1: and never found, or rainbows. Yeah. Dio was awesome. Next track up is No Way. David, what do you think of this?
0: Yeah, no way. Uh, I really like this track. It's got a funky vibe. I almost thought that it would have been like a Jeff track, but apparently it's all stone, right? I uh, oh, yeah. really like it, and I love the vibe of it, the uh, funky kind of guitar chord that uh, is prov- provided throughout the whole uh, song, and uh, I dig it.
2: How about you, Aaron? Oh, for me, now we're talking. This one kind of grabbed me right away. Uh, dig that simple swinging beat. And then the dampened, almost claustrophobic sounding guitars that lead this off. It's almost like trance inducing. And that bass line's funky as fuck. And then the palm muted wah-wah guitars make this track just about as funky as Pearl Jam can get. <laughs> Ed's vocals sort of waver across the music like a vibration. I guess that's the best way I can describe it. And it works. But something bugs me slightly that I'm gonna to get to later. This is Gossard's song, including the lyrics, and he's just as confusing as veterans has been so far. Mm-hmm. What's Ed singing about? Got me. But you know, <laughs> he got me. But he needs someone to be there for him, and he stopped trying to make a difference. Is this the white flag signaling the end of the battle of Ticketmaster? I, I mean, Pearl Jam got virtually no support for from anybody for that, so they were kind of forced to surrender the fight. That's sort of how I see this. Whatever. It's Jack Irons who captures my attention and it figures. I really dig this one and the band hardly ever plays it live.
1: Yeah. This is one of the least played live songs in the catalog. And I have no idea why it's one of my favorite Pearl jam songs. Uh, Stone Gossard's superpower is his grooves. And this song, he's got about three of them running at once. His off-kilter rhythm and Jack Iron's right foot just send you into an Elaine Bennis kind of style, human dry heave dance, trying to move your body to this. It's got a groovy feel, though. And soon you're throwing your thumbs out into jazz hands, sort of doing your jerking thing, jerking your hips, swinging a calf to and fro, playing air guitar like Chuck Berry on an anti-seizure med. (laughs) Ed's not trying to make a difference. He stopped trying to make a difference. He's yielding. He's letting go. He's not trying to be the head guy anymore. It was breaking up the band. It's driving him crazy. No way. The middle eight key drop with the wad out guitar behind Jack's drumming is haunting. And it lights up my synesthesia, makes makes my hair stand on end. You hear the squeaks in his hi-hat stand, and that beat just sticks in my head for days. The song rolls through me like a commuter train. I love this. The next track is Given a Fly. This was the first single.
2: What do you think? Made up my mind, make a new start, going to California with an Akin in my heart. You know, there are gazillion songs you hear that remind you of other songs. And sometimes you hear it and you go, oh, yeah, that sounds a little bit like satisfaction. Or you hear it and you go, they fucking ripped off satisfaction. And I wish I knew why I feel that way about particular songs, but I don't I don't have an explanation. Everybody knows the resemblance this song has to Led Zeppelin's going to California. And for some reason, it just bugs me. It distracts me. I can't think of anything else. I didn't like this when I first heard it on the radio, and I don't like it now. And it's not just because of the Zeppelin thing, because, you know, as we've said over and over on this podcast, Zeppelin has more than its share of musical thievery going on. (laughs) So, you know, I don't know. And this really, if I'm being honest, it doesn't sound like going to California. The music was written the music was written by McCready and Dad Gad Tuning, and there's no and there's no acoustic guitars anywhere, and the chorus rocks hard. It's Ed's vocals, I think, that do me in. And the lyrics, I think, are about someone able to feel and share love in the face of scorn and derision by and, and derision by others. But nope. Fly away, Ed. Fly the fuck away with this. <laughs>
1: Okay, um, David, what do you think?
0: Wow, well, that's um, very strong take on it, but couldn't disagree more. Um, <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from, and uh, it's funny because when you mentioned the going to California portion, I was actually able to go to a uh, House of Blue show they played in Chicago 2005, and you know, 1500 people, it was, it was great. Um, I have stories about. I knew people there. So I like came in through the uh, service elevator and, you know, his wife and newborn baby daughter were there, you know, and I was like, Hey, how you doing? You know? So it's kind of cool. Um, very cool experience. Uh, Robert plant opened up for them that night. And, you know, again, it's one of those things where I think, you know, Ed felt guilty because he said the same thing during Tom Petty's, like, you know, Robert plant shouldn't be opening up for us, you know, and, you know, very humble, but they decidedly made a point about that, um, uh, Because at one point, uh, they did play Given to Fly right after um, playing Going to California with Robert Plant, which uh, I thought was kind of a, you know, tongue-in-cheek kind of way to... uh, And I don't think they sound that much uh, alike for some reason. I can see, you know, the riff. But other than that, the song goes off in other directions. And it's one of their most anthemic songs, which is saying a lot considering their catalog. Um, If it's not a top five song for me from them, it's a top ten For sure and again you know performed live uh it just takes it to the next level mccready i know we keep coming back to him but he's you know one of the most underrated rock guitarists of the last 30 years i would say i agree underrated goes just you know nobody gives him the props that he should get and uh you know by extension stone probably gets even less you know but both of them Hmm. as a rhythm section you know um those they've made some great music together all the way from you know Green River Mother Love Bone, uh, Temple of Dog. I mean those guys definitely. Uh, well, that's Jeff and Stone. Sorry, but but with Mike when he came on board too. I mean, um, they've got a great chemistry and uh, they write some great songs. So uh, I wish you liked it a lot more. Um uh, yeah. You know at least a little bit because I, I think it goes uh, far away from Cal going to California than than. It's a lazy comparison, you know, if you look into it, the songs are pretty different. This was
1: the first single that we heard. I wasn't sure what to think. It was completely different than anything they ever gave us before. But that was Pearl Jam, and that's why I love them. But even listening now, and I get it, Aaron, I do. It's very, very powerful live, though. And that's where I'm coming from with it. And when they've got 18,000 people all singing it back to them, unamplified, but they're louder than the friggin' band is delivering to the crowd, everyone's hands up, palms to the sky. It's a church kind of come-to-Jesus moment without all the dogma and guilt and a slight whiff of skunkweed. Uh, this, (laughs) This is Pearl Jam. This is what it's all about, the community, the camaraderie, all the Pearl Jam fans singing back to them at once, all touched in a different way, but it's all connected. That's where this band gets its superpower from, the stage, the fans. Pearl Jam fans are a fucking force within themselves, and this song brings it out. Fly! Whoa! <laughs> 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 uh, you know, Mike McCready's arpeggiated little earworm that blasts out into full roar and solos with joy like the archangels' fucking bells. Holla fucking hallelujah. Fly! <laughs> the next song is Wishlist.
2: What do you think a wish list? I wish this song didn't exist. <laughs> That's it.
0: <laughs> what about you, David? <laughs> oh, well, um, you know, again, a little bit with Giving a Fly. I can see how some people, um, some people who like their Pearl Jam a certain way would not be a fan of this song. Um, the lyrics are somewhat considered, would consider a trite, maybe uh, a little too cutesy for them. But, you know, um, I buy in on it. I, I just, you know, sincerity is something I never questioned Span for. So um, although I don't think it's their top work, I totally buy in on this. And it's, you know, a great song for what it is. They do much better, softer, you know, you know ballad type songs in other places. But this is, um, again, uh, one that they perform live fairly regularly I think they do like a disco ball effect so the lights Mm -hmm. spread out and touch everybody it's you know it's one of those uh bathroom break songs for some people or you know lighter uh put your armor on your girlfriend songs for other people so it's fine with me
1: I didn't always like this little earworm but it was everywhere when it was new and I intentionally avoided it because of that when you dig deeper into this track and listen to the lyrics it becomes a new breed of Christmas song he's wishing for a better version of everything He wants to be included in every facet of who he's singing to. He's fantasizing about being anyone other than himself. He's somehow saying he's not good enough, but he strives to be better. I am totally sick of this song, and I do use it as a bathroom break.
0: You know, you you, you guys need a little more love. You guys are both Grinches with hearts that are like two sizes too small. You know, (laughs) just believe in it just for five minutes. It's It's a good song.
1: I feel like there's two old guys on The Muppet Show. You're two
0: grumpy old men That's are, <laughs> <not the laughs> <PR>, man. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> oh, that
2: song sucks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but I'm going to love this one. Pilot by Jeff Ament. ('m my own reflection, looking back sees <laughs> me too
3: clearly, and I swore I'd never go. I
1: have David, what do you think of this?
0: yeah i like the song a lot you know uh it sounds like a jeff song to me um, <laughs> and uh you know as as somebody who recognizes those kind of songs right off the bat um it's funky it's different it, it's definitely carries on that experimental experimental vibe that they do throughout the albums most notably in Vit- vitology and so i think it's one of those kind of you know throw it up against, against the wall see if it sticks kind of songs I, it works for me it's not their best but It's funky, it's different I I dig it Um, It's a short song too So if you don't like it, you don't have to deal with it for very long
1: Aaron, what do you think of Pilot?
2: Oh, fuck me sideways Three (coughs) duds in a row what the fuck is going on here? I guess once again, we learned the hard lesson about letting the bass player write tunes for your record. This is the kind of crap your local wannabe gets up at the op- open mic and wants to show you the new song he's been working on. And you co- politely clap when he's finished and just wish he would get off the fucking stage. This has no business being here except to throw away at a bone. A Roman governor and his dog. And yes, the lyrics are as stupid as that sounds, backed up by pedestrian music that this band could toss off in their sleep. You know, come to think of it, this is Pearl Jam tossing themselves off. I think I'll avoid the circle jerk. Thank you.
0: Um, If there was a visual for what I imagined you looking like right before you got to talk about this song, (laughs) it'd be like a Doberman that's being held (laughs) by like three people. And there's just like drool coming out and the teeth are like bearing... And the moment that they let go of the um, leash is right when you came in to talk about this song.
2: <laughs> Except that I look more like an overweight Rottweiler than a Doberman. But yeah, same thing. <laughs> Jack Irons has an interesting way
1: of percussing this odd-metered song written by the bass player, Jeff Ament, in Jeff's words.
3: I think Pilot was the question I was asking myself, and Low Light was the answer, the realization. Have you ever read The Master and the Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov? I just read that book. I <laughs> have not. no. I, I'm speaking in the voice of Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> at the end, they talk about Pontius Pilate being all alone on the mountain with his dog. He couldn't sleep and he couldn't function. It really struck me hard because at that point I was feeling very alone. I, was, I always had this recurring dream about just being old and just me and my dog sitting on the porch. It wasn't necessarily a sad dream or a premonition, but it did get me thinking about why Pilot was so alone and I freaked out. I realized he didn't get to finish his conversation with Jesus. That's why he can't function, because he can't tie up the loose ends of his life. Later, I was playing guitar and I was hit so hard by this amazing emotion. In a moment, the words low light came out. And somehow those words were the only words to explain what I was feeling. And it was a kind of gratefulness that at finding that place of calm and peace at my center and getting a glimpse of the person I could choose to be. It was the purest happiness that I've ever experienced in a long time. And that particular emotion, God, I thought I was going to explode. I feel very lucky to have been able to put that down on tape and morning. I feel very lucky to have been able to put that down on tape that morning and work through it until it became a song.
1: Now that said, this is my least favorite song on the record. This has been voted worst chorus in a Pearl Jam song on forums and it has also been noted to having one of the best bridges. Next up is Do The Evolution.
2: Aaron, give it to me. Well, it starts off promising. At least the band's put its big boy pants back on and decided to rock, I guess. The music is by Gossard, and Jeff Amet must have blown a gasket writing the last track because he's not even on this. Gossard's playing bass. Something still feels a bit off for me, though. The guitar tones sound all fucked up. There's a metallic, jangly sheen to the sound that makes my tooth fillings hurt. And the fuzz guitar line that appears later has zero balls to it, and it sounds squashed. It's like a naughty puppy yelping in its crate. Someday he'd like to be a big dog. At least Ed's game, though. He's trying to inject some energy into it. The oh fuck me! Yeah, but
0: yeah, humanity really hasn't progressed much past the apes. How about you, David? Christ, I got to go to bat for this one. Um, if it's not the best song on the album, it's, it's damn near. Uh, it's it's Pearl Jam in 1998. This is who they are right here. And it pairs so nicely with the video that they did with Tom McFarlane. It's a great visual. Uh, It adds to the song and vice versa. And this is a live staple. Uh, It's usually the last song they play before the encore. So uh, like the last song in the main set or the first song of the encore. Um, It's, I can't imagine it not being in our catalog. It's a definitive moment of this album and a definitive moment of their career it's one of the top 10 songs for sure that they've ever done Woo!
1: Woo! <laughs> tell me you can't shake that riff it's with me all day sometimes many we get angry ed on this one <laughs> he's got many settings this is angry seething ed he explained that the song is someone that's drunk with technology who thinks they're the controlling living being on this planet man's done so well for himself. Admire him. Admire his clothes. Admire his son. He's his clone. Those ignorant engines got nothing on him. Nothing! It's evolution, baby! Stone's rhythm is expertly, just complements and drives this song. Brendan O'Brien's keyboards add an ominousness to it that, and I don't think it's unwelcome. Stone gives us a frenetic solo this time that rips through the sonic wall. Listen to him in the right channel. Ed sounds like a grunting caveman at the end. Or a crazed homicidal maniac. Equally fitting. The song um, fades out, which I'm not really a, a fan of because I want to hear what they faded out. It sounds like, holy shit, dude, why, did, why did you do that? Kill the engineer. <laughs> Next up is The Color Red, or The Red Dot, by Jack Irons. David, what do you think
0: you know what can you say about this one this is kind of along the lines of the vitalogy filler songs it's kind of fun it's kind of funky i feel like this is something that's straight from jack irons for some reason but uh you know it's just not it's just the filler gap song nothing uh nothing to see here
2: what do you think of it aaron uh did i bitch about the bass player writing songs here's what happens when you let the fucking drummer get a track of his own Let's face it, this isn't a song. And I'm not not—I'm really not against short interlude-type bits. Sometimes they can be cool and creative. I Normally this kind of shit really doesn't offend me. And if the percussion part of this was all there was, I probably would like it. But no, that astoundingly idiotic We're hungry, hey, vocals apparently done by Irons. <laughs> and I'm just left shaking my head again as my churning bowels are getting urgent.
1: Yeah, this is the throwaway track. It's Jack Irons' Contribution. I guess they give him a song so he gets some publishing. Uh, I consider it more of an intro to MFC. It's short enough that I don't mind it, and I don't skip it. Next up is the song MFC, or Mini Fast Car.
2: Is this one any good? Okay, I really needed this. Straightforward rocker with distorted guitars that fucking sound nice. Plus, Gossard adds a backwards guitar part that's straight out of Jimi Hendrix and sounds cool. Irons really pounds those skins on the chorus. And I gotta say, he has been a bright spot on the album on the whole for me so far, even on the tracks I don't dig. Ed's not fucking around with his vocals or trying any stupid new tricks. He just sings the song, and I appreciate it. I read that MFC stands for Mini Fast Car, and the song was written by Ed in Italy, where they got those mini fuckers zipping all around. And apparently, it's about a woman driving away from her circumstances, getting out on her own. And at least that's my interpretation. It's a simple, solid track. Thank God.
0: How about you, David? Uh, yeah, I, feel, I like, I dig this track. I feel it's the uh, spiritual brother to Riri Mirror, um, another Ed driving a uh, deal with your problems kind of track. Um, it's strong, belongs on the album, and uh really dig it. I totally. I fucking. I fucking love Rearview Mirror. I'm sorry, I just wanted to say that. I totally <laughs> agree
1: that yeah, this is a good companion piece to that. I read that Ed wrote this about a Mini Cooper that he saw in Europe. So yeah, you're, you're right. Sense. This song is about getting the fuck out of a bad situation and just getting your in your little fast car and disappearing. That riff that Ed lays down, it's it's typical Ed too. It sounds like it too, doesn't it? it sounds like just Mm -hmm. getting the fuck out of Dodge.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Stone Gossard's like backwards solo thing fits right in. He's actually, you know, he pulls his own for lead guitar on, on this album. I love this track. It's even better in concert.
2: You got a fast car. (laughs) Not going to have that. I love, you
0: know, Ed's not uh, necessarily a needed guitarist in this band. But I love a good angry Ed riff, like you know, Rearview Mirror or Blood or this one. Right. I mean, they're just cutting sharp Eddie Vedder riffs. I love River Mirror. I really do like that. Yeah, that's, it's, that's it's such a... an Eddie riff, angry short staccato riff. That's you know, that's his signature as far as guitar playing.
1: He's he's no slouch. He's no, not. he's not. No, he's not. Next up is Low Light by Jeff Ament. David, what'd you think?
0: You can't see this, but it's me pounding my chest slowly because this (laughs) one gets me in the feels. This is, along with uh, all those yesterdays, those two songs, you know, hit me in the gut. Um, Lyrically, just the melodies, uh, the whole song from beginning to end, uh, one of the better, slower numbers that they've ever done. And uh, one of my favorites off the album.
2: Aaron, how did you fare? In which our bass player, Redeems himself on the songwriting front. Lots of acoustic guitars, some oom pa keyboards, and the bass is up front and sounds nice. I I really do like Amen as a bass player, and I could be mistaken, but I think there's a fretless bass overdubbed over the regular bass part. That's what it sounds like to me. I don't know, but it's got a gentle loping three-quarter rhythm, and McCready doesn't overplay the solo. He colors inside the lines and gets it right. And Ed has a way with a quiet vocal. I always give this to him. He's still able to communicate the emotion without having to resort to his Billy goat vibrato thing he does. And this melody rises and falls like a gentle wave. And I've, I've got no clue what it's about again. Maybe feeling lost and trying to find your way in life. I don't know. But I like the words and I just roll along with it. Great track. This is the slow dance section
1: of the show. This is where the slow, twirling blue lights shine down on the stage, and you can lean in and blow in sweet Betty Lou's ear at the high school dance. (laughs) Um, It's a bit tropical, a bit psychedelic. The meaning I went over earlier, it's not unwelcome, just a standard track for me. It's uh, rarely played live in the past. It's made its way as a regular um, into the set around uh, the, the last tour, 2018.
0: Uh, speaking of live, I believe this was the opening track to one of the uh, Wrigley Field Chicago shows that they played, I think, in 2018. Yeah. And um, they do like to throw that curveball to the fans where a lot of times they will start with a slow song. A lot of times it's release. Sometimes it's long road. Um, sometimes it's smile. Um, pendulum, when they d- right. Yep. Hopefully not pendulum. Um, but low light, <laughs> when they start with that, yeah, that's that's reaching pretty far back to throw that one out as an opening song
1: next up we have in hiding David, what do you think of In Hiding?
0: You know what? Uh, this song, I feel uh, it's kind of a vibe akin to uh, Red Mosquito for me. And this is another one where they're aiming for the kind of anthem arena rocking kind of uh, song. I feel like it almost makes it, but it doesn't quite reach the level of uh, a given to fly that we uh, heard earlier. It's a solid song live. Uh, it's a fan favorite. Uh, I like it, but um, not the strongest track on an album that uh, has better songs uh, in the same vein.
2: Aaron. Uh, this is my favorite track on the album. I get like, a real throwback, 10 vibe from it. And lo and behold, the music was written by Gossard, so that figures. And the lyrics are by Vetter, so no wonder. The verses have a relaxed feel to them, built around a cool Gossard riff. The rhythm section lays back and doesn't rush things. And Ed's vocals do a slow burn, slowly gaining in intensity. The transitional sections have cool guitar arpeggios raining down, and then the hard guitars come in, while Ed's Billy Goat vocals sort of coil up, holding the up the tension until the big chorus, which opens wide and the tensions released into the stratosphere. Ed doesn't over sing; it's like it's a religion, He doesn't do any of that shit, and the emotion comes through. I read that the lyrics were inspired by author Charles Bukowski, who stated he occasionally needed time away from everything to collect himself and get right with the world. Hey, everybody needs a break. I sure do. Sometimes you just got to close yourself off from everything and everyone and get your shit straight. I swallow the truth to keep from lying. I swallow my face just to keep from biting. Yeah, I swallowed my breath. I went deep. I was diving. I was diving. Yeah, I surfaced when all of my being was enlightened. That kind of sums it up. No guitar solo, it doesn't need one. This track has a mini epic feel, and it's fucking aces.
1: This to me is the sonic equivalent of a pop fly home run. It's as soon as Stone hits that first chord, and it's like the pitch is just thrown, and it's a run around the bases. this high-flying, soaring number. There's a certain feeling of freedom in those chords, and Ed's soaring chorus just gets me singing in the shower, and my dog's howling along with me. For all the good things we can offer each other, sometimes we beat each other down. I get it, dude. The middle section gets crunchy, that crunchy breakdown from Stone that doom dun ka. And then the soaring lead from Mr. McCready. Have I mentioned Mike McCready this evening? Next up, we have push me, pull me. Like
3: a clown dropping rain, I'm discarding all thought. I'll dry up. Leaving puddles on the ground. I'm like an open
1: band for the sound. David, what do you think of this one?
0: Crazy, man. I like this song. This song is pretty fun. Uh, It's out there for them. This is uh, them pushing the envelope again. Uh, easily could have been on Vitology I feel Uh, maybe even No Code Um, this is them having fun Uh, the overlaying uh, synopsis of this album is that you know Ed really came in and kind of relaxed his um, leadership of the band everybody was contributed a lot more it was a looser feel everybody had a much better time making this album than you know the last three albums beforehand and so I think you really feel it on a song like this it's you know, this band gets pegged as very serious far too often. They don't get credit for some of the fun that they have and have had. And this is kind of an example of it. It's not meant to be one of the top songs they've ever written. This is just them having fun.
2: Aaron, what do you think of Push Me, Pull Me? And it's back to the bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it figures they meant had a hand in writing this. But at least his percolating bass line is the best thing about this track. The rest is just half-baked CD filler garbage, and Ed's spoken word vocals are dumb as a bowl of shit. Guess what? Eddie Vedder's figured out we don't have a lot of time left in this life. We're just visitors passing through. What a revelation, Aristotle. Push me, pull me, plug me, plunge me, whatever. It's Aaron Stinky Stinker. (laughs)
0: Fuck, Aaron. I thought you were a fan of this band. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. He likes 10.
1: (laughs) Wow, Ed was quite the handful for the last three albums or so, which really comes to the the whole idea of this album and yielding and yielding control. This is another Jeff Ament track. It sounds off and I think that's because it shifts back and forth between 3-4 and 4-4 in time. They've got a bunch of tape loops running in the background. It kind of makes this feel like a jumbled mess. Uh, luckily, this strangely experimental song doesn't last long, and it leads into one of the best on the record. Next up, we have All Those Yesterdays. It's now time.
2: you like this one well this is an odd closing track that main guitar figure by gossard sounds off i don't know if i don't know how if it if it is the same way with you guys it's like almost like a little bit dissonant to my ears but i like that it maintains this off kilter vibe that gives the tune some character the rest of the band keep it loose the drums have a lazy mid-tempo swing and the bass line's well done it's creative and it's got movement then there's a goofy sounding part that sounds like a trombone, though I don't see any credits for it, so I'm not sure what's exactly is making that sound. I don't know if it's keyboards. McCready gets a lengthy solo spot and he turns in a melodic solo that captures the right feel. I mean, you know, it ain't no Carpenter Newton, but no one's showboating or overplaying. Ed's in quiet, sensitive voice. He doesn't go into any histrionics, even when he ups the urgency. And the lyrics seem to be the narrator giving advice to a friend who's had a hard go of it. He says the friend can turn things around. There's time to escape. I read that it was inspired by McCready and his substance abuse issues. I don't consider this like a jaw-dropping epic or anything, but it does get a thumbs up for me. Now, David, I know you like this one.
0: Okay, yeah, and I just wanted to say Based on Aaron's last comments on this song, um, I feel like somehow along the way a copy of Yield somehow like gained consciousness, jumped behind a truck and ran over Aaron's childhood dog over and over again, <laughs> and then just drove away laughing and saying, don't forget, it's Pearl Jam's Yield that ran over your dog. Ha 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 ha. Shayna! Um, Shayna!
1: <laughs> Show us on the yield sign Where yield hurts you <laughs>
0: um, Okay So for all those yesterdays You know what This is a segment of Pearl Jam's catalog That I don't think Gets enough credit It's their Kind of experimental phase Where they try Different time signatures uh, Different instruments They kind of uh, Have different uh, Ways of Incorporating Exciting elements Into certain songs And all those yesterdays Is like a lullaby It's uh, Different it feels both at the same time memorable and something like you've heard before, but at the same time so different than what you're used to from this band. And it's a great song. It's it's a little quirky, a little weird. But again, I think when you hear some of the other albums that they've had before and after, it fits yeah. into that category of them experimenting and coming up with some really good material. There is a line at the very end of the song where Ed sings you've got time to escape. It's no crime to escape. There's still there's still time to escape, which, you know, again is a closing track. I think it's just really strong for him.
1: This very beatlesque tune that was written by Stone Gossard closes out this album. I think Stone might have written this one about Mike McCready, Darren you mentioned that. Their childhood friends before Mike joined the band and a little while after the band hit big. Mike went through a tough time with health problems. He had Crohn's and he was developing a pretty good addiction to pills and drinking. McCready distanced himself emotionally from the other band members for a while, and that could be reflected by the lyrics, What are you running from? Taking pills to get along, creating walls to call your own. So no one catches you drifting off and doing all the things that we all do. The Walls reference is the same as Roger Waters' sentiment, and I'm, I'm sure it's a tip of the hat to him as well. Great, great tune. And uh, it's really the close, well, almost the close of... Uh, a phenomenal quirky album next up is our hidden track hummus
0: David, I don't think I'm going to like this one as much as uh, Aaron is going to love this one. But uh, <laughs> you know, this is just another. I'm not sure why they did this one. I, I'm, I'm actually going to go with Aaron on this one because the fact that it, I think it's over a minute after the uh, the runtime for all those yesterdays, I think, is still part of this song. If I'm correct, and so it doesn't really add a whole lot as far as the comprehension of what we heard up until this point, and at this point you know as far as like tag along fun experimental non-songs yeah they're you know they might want to start retiring that uh, which i think they did after this one but uh this is kind of like a last gasp of that kind of uh non-songs that started to pop up during uh the vitality era so uh i don't consider it you know part of the track listing to be honest
2: what do you think about it aaron yeah it's just a goof of a hidden track nothing more Pearl Jam does a weird style instrumental that feels like it could be played at like a Jewish wedding. (laughs) It's in an unusual mode, and and then it speeds up with hand claps and is totally inconsequential. But that's okay. I mean, most of these 90s hidden tracks that everybody seemed to do were just throwaways anyway. Hummus!
0: Nameless, endless. Exactly.
1: (laughs) A Middle Eastern tinged hidden track. In art school, I used to have CDs on repeat as I worked on projects at home or in my headphones um, when I was immersed in my work.
2: Who the fuck is playing Bugs again? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the the album would end, and I'd just keep working, and I'd forget that it was on, and then it would and get the ever loving shit scared out of me when they came crashing back in again. And
0: yeah, Nirvana and Tool did this too. <laughs> again, does, is it just me, or does this scream jack irons?
1: Yes. Okay. All right. Our final thoughts. You can rate the album from one to five, five being the best, worst being the worst piece of crap that you ever heard. David, what do you think of Yield?
0: I'd give this a solid 3.5 out of five. I think this is the possibly last great front-to-back Pearl Jam album that was made. And it's solid. They're a different band at this point with uh, different players. But I think this was a turning point for the rest of their career this album pretty much set the trajectory, good or bad, for what they've become, what they are now, and the fact that they're probably this album allowed them to stay together, um and out you know, outlast some of their contemporaries. Uh not that, you know, they're any better. It's just I think they needed to make this album in order to survive as a band. They're really solid. There's some great top ten Pearl Jam songs on this album, um, live. Uh a good Half of this album is still played fairly regularly, Mm -hmm. and um, it's a top five Pearl Jam album for me.
1: Aaron, what about you? What's your final thoughts about Yield?
2: You know, up until about a month ago, I hadn't listened to this in a long time, and I always thought, yeah, Yield. Everyone likes Yield. It kind of brought the band back together and strengthened them after all the shit they'd been through for the few years there. It was sort of like a comeback from a band that never really left. I know this album is highly regarded by the fan base, and I know that you really dig it, Lou. But the more I listened to it, the more I thought, yeah, it's pretty good, but is it one of Pearl Jam's best? Uh, I don't know. What I found is that I really like a few tracks, really don't like a handful of them, and most of them just kind of fall into the, "Eh, it's okay category for me. I know that Eddie Vedder loosened the reins a bit and let the other members contribute with songwriting, but is that a really good thing? I'm not sure, listening to this. The tracks the other members brought weren't that great on the whole to me, except maybe for the Stone Gossard ones, but he'd been writing from the very beginning. And the songs have performed well enough, but even in the faster mode, those rockers don't crack my skull the way they used to. I actually was thinking, what's wrong with me? Am I missing something? But then recently on Patreon, we did a bonus episode, Lou, where we did a listening party of 10. And I was like, nope, nope, okay, I'm not wrong. The (laughs) difference was spelled out for me in bold relief. I give Yield a week three. To me, this is the middle of the road, Pearl Jim. And middle of the road is not the lane I want them to stay in. I prefer it when they cut the wheel and swerve a little more.
0: Uh, Aaron? Yo. Aaron. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Riot Act and Self-Titled just called, and they said to hold their beers. Yeah.
1: <laughs> when Yield came out, I was at a point in my life where I was starting to feel the pressure of following my dream versus doing the right thing and getting a quote-unquote real job and abandoning my dreams of for reality and a family life. My wife wanted to have a child. Uh, We would within a year of this coming out. And I was getting used to real job money and slowly putting my dreams uh, in the closet, yielding, giving in for the sake of peace and security. And that's what this record represents for me, shedding my dreams for a more stable reality. I give Yield a four and a half. No Pearl Jam record is perfect. Maybe the first one. Yeah, no, there's nothing bad at all about that one. But this one holds deeper meaning for me, and this is my favorite of their catalog. Okay, I'd like to thank David Arauz. You did great, David. Thanks for being with us.
0: Yeah, I just uh, love my job here at Cyberdyne Systems, and uh <laughs> have to talk about Pearl Jam.
2: And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at ridiculousrockrecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at r 4 Aaron and Instagram under r4podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you.
1: Okay, signing off for the Ridiculous Rock Records podcast. I'm Lewis. I'm Aaron. Take it easy. Pumice!
2: What the fuck fucking playing hummus again! <laughs> <laughs>
3: Mike McCready wrote this, uh, it, it's... Oh, what the fuck did I write there? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it weird how sometimes you're like, it's just, the idea stalls out. And like, Handwritten notes are in the, uh... Oh, this is it's actually it's type, it's it's stuff. type. <laughs> I stuff. Auto, auto-correct, fuck it. It appears in as I would say, the idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I didn't always like this little earworm. Was that somebody's idea? <laughs> 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 you know what? I wish Let's I could take credit for that. That's like, uh, some ASMR. And now every time we hear that, we're gonna think of a twist-like role, Jim. Ding! Yeah, you know, that's not like the Pavlov's dogs. Ding. You know what I actually like, that song? Ding. I like this one. I'm recording it. Let's me! <laughs> I even get married to wish list. Now <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Starting a dig wish list.
1: <laughs> best song ever.
3: All right, let's start this over again. <laughs>